Hi, everyone, and welcome to Mercer's Energizing the Employee Experience podcast. Here at Mercer, we're the global consulting leader across talent, health, retirement, investments, and of course, employee benefits. For more details, please visit us at uk.mercer.com. In this podcast series, we're going to be exploring the future of work, the latest trends, and of course, all the big topics in HR. I'm your host, Jack Curzon, Consultant Director here at Mercer, and each week I'm going to be joined by colleagues of of mine from Mercer and wider um, who are going to share all their ideas, their experience, and their insights. Today we're talking about health on demand, which we'll go through in a little more detail about what that is shortly, but I'm delighted to be joined by my colleagues, Alison and Chris. If we could do a bit of an introduction as usual, then we'll get straight into the topic. So Alison, first, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I'm Alison Burden. I'm, I've worked for Mercer Marsh Benefits for a number of years now, another number of decades. And I work with clients. I'm actually a health consultant for a number of global clients, and I help them with their strategies around well-being. I've got an additional job, actually, as a team leader for our workplace health consulting um, division in the UK, and that's all about helping with uh, specific health strategies in the workplace across all of our clients. Thanks. And Chris, if you could introduce yourself as well. Yeah, hi. So I'm Chris Bailey, and I am the UK and Ireland region leader for Mercer Marsh Benefits. So responsible for all the great work we do with our clients. Thanks, Chris, and welcome to the episode. It's great to have you both on board. I know it's going to be a brilliant topic. So the first thing I want to ask really is what is health on demand for our listeners, for our clients, for, for anyone potentially not in the Mercer family that have heard of this? Could you explain a little bit about exactly what health on demand is? So health on demand is a really exciting piece of uh, research. A lot of the research that we do and other organizations do focuses on, on employers and asks employers lots of opinions and uh, an attitudinal um, data is, is gathered. But, but we, uh, we very rarely hear actually from the, from the employee and from individuals themselves. Uh, so we went out to 14,000 uh, individuals uh, across 14 uh, markets globally and actually asked individuals uh, how, uh, how the pandemic had been for them. So, so the issues that they'd faced, the things that were important to them, uh, and it's given us some great data that we can then uh, correlate with that employer data that we already have to, to see exactly what individuals need and to, to marry that up with, uh, with what employers are actually providing. Super. So it's actually using tangible data to provide some insight. Um, and it certainly sounds like we've gone to all the corners of the market to get it, which is super. Um, could you explain a little bit about the different big topics that came out of it? Because I'm sure there's lots of sub themes and things like that. But what are the, the big headline uh, genres and areas that the report looks at? Well, obviously, the report covers uh, quite a number of areas, but but there are three key groupings that, that we can easily find. The first is mental health, that, that mental health is such a huge topic. And put bluntly, people just want more support of mental health whilst they're at work and through their through their employer. Uh, the second trend was uh, was definitely um, digitization, that, that people actually enjoyed the experience of accessing um, benefits and well-being through digital formats during the, the pandemic, and they want to see more of that, but actually they want it to be a more consumer-level uh, experience. And the last trend, I would say, and again, this is linked to societal trends that happened at the same time as the, the pandemic, um, that, that individuals really expect their employers to step up when it, when it comes to diversity, equity and inclusion. They're really expecting employers to do more and to evidence that through the, through the benefits that are, that are provided. 
I think if you asked most employers at the moment what their objectives are or what their key priorities are, you've probably summarised most of them in the, in the findings there from the report. So it's certainly going to be really topical for everyone that reads it. Alison, of those topics, what do you think, where do we want to start with explaining a little bit about the findings and some of the key bits of information we pulled out? Um, I'd probably go for, for mental health. I think the one thing that the pandemic has shown is we've all gone through it together. This is not something that is isolated in various uh, places. So I think as employers want to talk about it, it's because they're employees themselves, right? So they've gone through all of this experience, um, going through the stresses and strains that everybody has had to deal with and how we cope with our day-to-day -day lives. So it's an easy one for people to realise the importance of doing more around this area. So personally, when I'm speaking to clients, that's very much the top of their, their list in, in wanting to support employees. This is one area that I would like to come in on. That's to, to talk to the, the idea that employees are uh, one uh, grouping. And, and actually what we found through this data is, is actually that uh, uh, whilst we've had this shared experience the, uh, of going through the, the pandemic, the, the impact on, on different cohort society has, has, has been markedly different. Um, and, and actually so is the current provision. So, so it's, uh, it's really interesting to, to look where, and you can look at this through a number of um, uh, a number of different lenses, but just focusing on age, for instance, we found that 60% uh, that of 25 to 34 year olds had access to mental health counselling services, but only 37% of those 55 to 64, which is really interesting to, to think that um, a huge category of, uh, of society are really missing out on this, this benefit equity uh, and actually aren't being provided with the same services as, uh, as um, some of their colleagues at, uh, at work. I was just going to say, just to add to that, I guess one of the things that people are more comfortable with doing is obviously accessing those services, so the mental health services through their devices. So this idea of, you know, going face to face to, to speak to a counsellor or whatever is actually not as important as it, as it once was. And we're all kind of used to working in that, that virtual world now around healthcare. Yeah, I, I agree. I certainly think as the decades have gone on as well, people in general have become a bit more relaxed about opening up about these things. Uh, you know, decades ago, people wouldn't discuss physical health as a as a thing, you know, and then obviously it became a lot more apparent that diet, nutrition, sleep, exercise and stuff like that is, is key. And people openly discussed it. And we went through the same, I think, with mental health. I don't think we're quite there with financial health yet because people don't openly talk about the issues they're going through. But Krista, I think the point you alluded to there as well is everyone has mental health, right? So it's not just an employee thing. It's everybody working in an organization. And we did a, a separate podcast episode just on mental health as one topic because it's such a big topic. And one of the stats I remember from that as a quote was that I think one in four people have a diagnosed mental health issue at, at any point, but four in four people have mental health. Um, it's not something to kind of back away from. So it's great that people should continue to talk about it. Does the report go into any potential solutions or what employers can do on the back of some of these big findings? It does. I just want to pick up on, on one more point, though, because the whilst generally society, I, I think it's, it's fair, has has 
seen changing uh, acceptance of, of, of mental health issues. Um, it was it was interesting that, that we saw that um, when we looked at um, race and ethnicity, that we saw some very interesting uh, pictures uh, coming through. So uh, we, we found that the people identifying uh, as being from a, um, uh, an ethnic minority um, actually had uh, had increased levels of stress and depression and actually were less likely um, to seek help um, through the services that were provided as, uh, as well. Um, so, so again, so some interesting uh, bits of Data that, uh, that that came through, um, but the good news is there are there are solutions that um, that, that come through as, as, as well, and um, it, it, it's not uh, it's not rocket science. We're not reinventing too too much here. It's about accessibility. Um, so, so it could be uh, virtual mental health services. It could be remote sessions with a therapist, and really focusing on on um, uh, managing anxiety, or even just coping with with sadness and, and personal relationship issues. Um, so so it's uh, it's it's quite a broad spectrum of things. That that employees can do uh, to embrace their, their uh, employees' mental health. I that's where I would say that, that there is no one size fits all anymore, I guess, in anything to do with healthcare. So for me, it's about speaking to an organization to understand what is the demographic of your organization? What are the needs? You know, this this is a voice of the employee. So it's actually, this is great on a, on a, a broader scale, but actually doing this kind of exercise at a client level is about listening and actually putting in solutions that are there's it's going to span across the workforce and not just hit one point thanks yeah and i i think when you when you look at mental health packages and different options that employers offer sometimes there is a lot of solutions which they might not all be bringing together and talking about you know there's potential offerings under medical insurance plans there's specific coverage options you know like the virtual GP side of things too. Sometimes a really good option for employers is to just get it all together and reiterate it to staff and communicate about it. Because if people don't know it's in place, then they're never going to use it. It might not be a shiny new thing. It could have been in place for years. And things like EAPs are really established, but not everyone knows about them. And some of the data you pointed towards there, Chris, certainly shows that, right? Um, if people aren't utilizing the solutions they've got in place. I think that's 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 a practical thing, isn't it, for clients or for for employees to do is actually that kind of health in, inventory. What do you have out there? But but let's not scatter on it to your employees. It's actually about doing it in a a controlled um, way, which fits in with the culture of the organisation. And and it and people know where to go for the right thing. Like you say, you might have multiple places, but actually pushing them to the right place can help them. Um, with much better outcomes than just leaving them to their own devices. Absolutely. I, I tend to, you know, I like to take a step back with organizations I work with and try and look at a, a slightly different view. And I know through years of, you know, being in the industry that to solve people's physical problems, for instance, is not just about a medical scheme. To solve people's financial problems is not just about a pension scheme. They're hugely important and expensive parts of a benefits package. The same way that, to, to support people through mental health or ill mental health, the, the solution to that is not just to offer an EAP, for instance, it's to educate people around lots of different solutions that all work together that might sit in different corners of a, a company or even a benefits package. You know, like time off is a really important thing. And people wouldn't put holiday or holiday trading alongside mental health, but it, it should absolutely be spoken about in the same way. And strategically, if you can pull all that together for me, 
and talk about it. It doesn't have to be a product either, you know, or something that's offered by a provider. It can be something that's in-house or a policy or something like that. It can really help people. I think when it comes to uh, meeting individuals' needs, that, that variety is really helpful. So, so the data showed, uh, for instance, that, um, that women uh, valued virtual healthcare counselling um, a much higher level than, than men did uh, respond to the same, same questions. Um, so, so making a, a range of, uh, of solutions available so that people can choose the ones that, that most appeal to them or best fit their needs is, is, a, is, a, is a really sensible way to, to have maximum impact. And, and the other piece is, is about ease. Um, that if you make something easy for people to access, they're, they're far more likely to. Um, and and that's, you know, that comes back down to communication. But, but again, it touches back on that, um, that point of, of digital solutions, where, where if, it's a, um, if it's one click and you're, you're accessing help, that's, you're far more likely to do it than if you have to hunt out a, um, a benefits booklet, find a number and, and, uh, and get on the phone. So, so it, is a, um, it is an interesting um, point right around that, um, that access mechanism as well. So we do have another separate episode on more detailed parts on mental health. And I know that we could talk about it for the whole time we've got together. Um, but I think it'd also be good to, to talk about some of the other topics from the report. So one of the other ones you mentioned was uh, digital offerings or technology solutions. Um, what in particular did we find in that area of the report? The employees um, really value being able to access their benefits and particular health benefits through digital solutions and, uh, and in particular, um, even those solutions that weren't just virtual, but, but actually used artificial intelligence and, and actually took the entire experience away from, from human interaction. Um, so that's a really interesting point that people can do it at, um, at their ease, at, um, when they want, where they want. Uh, and we found that 82% of people who'd access any form of um, uh, a virtual uh, healthcare solution said that that was their preferred route to continue to access um, healthcare outside of the pandemic. So this isn't something that filled a, a gap whilst the, the pandemic was causing issues around face-to-face -face services. This is, this is something that's here to stay. I do think at the moment there is a, a, a separation between some of the processes we have in the benefits world and some of the things that we expect to happen in the consumer world as, as individuals, you know, we we might use online shopping or certain websites to, to buy things almost instantly and get them same day, next day. But in the benefits world, a lot of the things are restricted by payroll and we're not getting the same experience. But as time goes on, I'm seeing technology and digital solutions playing a massive part in closing that gap um, and giving people that consumer grade experience that they can get instantly and certainly doing things around financial health and social engagement and, and things like that really support the drive for technology in the workplace. So it's no longer just about one thing. It's about, you know, the ecosystem of technology is, uh, you know, quite an old phase these days, but getting your solutions to talk to each other from a technology viewpoint is really, really vital, right? Um, well, for me, there was something else in here about actually the, the digital and, and use of technology around health screening. So this idea in the past of going to uh, a clinic, for example, and doing the same test that the next person would do and the same person, you know, it doesn't work anymore. It's much more about personalization. So one thing I'd say is home test kits are certainly been something that we've seen much more innovation around. So instead of having to go to on-site health screening, people are wanting more convenience at home, be it a blood test or through saliva test, DNA testing, which 
does use app-based technology to give them the insights about their, their own health and manage health conditions. So that's another way that technology has been used kind of at home when people haven't been able to go out and visit clinics. Were there any other standout stats at all, Chris, from that era in terms of either what organisations have been doing or what they're looking to do? Yeah, so some really interesting things came uh, came through in terms of the, the different um, uh, pockets of, uh, of attitudes and, and that, so that exist within uh, within this employee grouping. So, so we saw that 77% um, of, uh, of Gen Z valued using telemedicine, uh, but it, it fell to 47% for, for boomers. Um, so that might seem like a, a really um, a obvious thing to say, but when we look at benefits um, and, and health benefits, it's, it's often uh, the case that they're rolled out via a single medium. So, so effectively you might catch one grouping, but, but not the other. And I think this is where it becomes a, a sort of and strategy um, to provide uh, access routes that, that work for, for both. Um, and, and we saw the, the move to, to virtual care. Again, no surprise that uh, Gen Z and Gen X um, accessed it more than, uh, than boomers did, but, but, but still right across age groups, the, the usage was up and, and, and attitudes were, were positive. Um, it, also interesting to, um, uh, to, to, to note that, um, uh, that the responses from ethnically diverse um, populations and from uh, LGBTQ plus communities um, value digital benefits more than other respondents. So, so again, in, true, in terms of being um, truly representative, uh, it's, it's really important to, 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 make, to make sure that that digital solution is, uh, is there. No, I think there's some, you know, some elements of convenience and privacy there, isn't there, that technology brings that potentially other processes might not or um, paper-based or longer processes might put the people off. Whereas if you can instantly get access to something and it's confidential and private, it's going to encourage people a lot more, isn't it? Um, and I know you said there, Chris, it, some of those stats sound obvious, but people might think that, but to see the evidence in, in writing is quite compelling, um, especially with the amount of organizations and people we've, we've gone to in this research. So it's really key. And, and Alison, just think about your points there around the health, uh, region specifically i do find health screens a funny one actually because typically you might uh you know have a screen to give you a picture of health maybe once a year or once every two years and they often don't close the loop for me so you know understanding your state of health is great but you need the advice on what to do on the back of it right and i think you need little and often and you know apps or technology solutions software can can potentially give you an engaged way of, of interacting with other people or with a provider to get the help you need to, to improve a state of health in that instance. And I know that lots of people these days more often are looking at potentially like self-diagnosis kits, you know, where they can do either the pinprick blood tests or they can do use Fitbits or other, you know, technologies to find out, well, what's my heart rate now, rather than going and fi only finding it out once a year. Um, so increasing the amount of information that people collect themselves, I think, is really important. Yeah, but it, but it's understanding that everybody's different, right? And I think we've seen that from this, that there's not just one route that would fit for everybody. So actually giving that range of options to individuals. And you're absolutely right. The baby steps thing of actually you go and you get told something, your blood pressure is high, whatever. It's not, you shouldn't just then go away and feel like, okay, what am I doing? You, there's an element of needing a bit of coaching. And then that's where the workplace becomes that ongoing coach around well-being. So ensuring that that culture of 
continual improvement and support is there for you in that journey as you kind of make some changes to yourself. A cost implication here as well, because if um, the, the old way of, of providing health screening was that uh, the health screening was a, was a menu and, it, and everyone got the same. Um, and, uh, and of course, there's costs there for people having uh, having tests that that's actually just aren't relevant for them and, and don't apply. When, when you do introduce a degree of epigenetics, you can you can start to um, really uh, tailor that the service is being provided to, to the individuals who need that uh, and therefore stop your over provision. Um, so it's far better use of spend as well. So, so organize organizations uh, benefits by, by the reduced cost and of course the individual benefits by having uh, a much more relevant uh, solution for them so it really is a win-win. Absolutely um, I think as a whole in the past kind of five to ten years I've seen companies start to blur the lines in a positive way of letting these big topics overlap slightly you know it hasn't been a single conversation about technology or a single conversation about mental health we're starting to overlap which is great but one thing i've noticed through this discussion for instance chris is some of the comments you've mentioned on data specifically around ethnic minorities or lgbtq plus uh, people or um you know groups of people in the research and for me this all points towards the dei or the diversity equality equity and inclusion topic so what have we found in this space and what are the key findings in a time where you know these topics are right at the top of everyone's list to discuss yeah so it's worth pointing out that um we saw some huge societal um shifts during uh, during the same time that we were in the middle of a, a pandemic so 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 if society's changed employees have changed and that means they expect their employer to, to change um change with them um so in terms of the um the data that, that we saw um so so we saw that um across the lgbtq plus um respondents we saw that 30 percent reported um suffering from mental health issues compared to 19 percent from the from the general respondents um we saw that um the actual use of uh, telemedicine across that grouping was was 79 percent um, compared to, to 63% across general respondents. And they had higher response rates as well for, for persistency of, uh, of use. Um, but there, there were lots of uh, groupings that um, it really painted a different picture um, for how people have experienced um, uh, the, 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 the pandemic and, and lockdown. So, so we found that um, people from um, uh, ethnic, ethnically diverse backgrounds were more likely to have um, had shared occupancy issues, um, were more likely to have grown up children living back with, uh, with, with, with parents. Um, and so their experience of, of um, having both children and, and parents working from home collectively, all the stresses of shared broadband and, and not you know, insufficient working space, all, all that stuff sort of came through. So there's there's bigger societal um, issues there there as well. And, and the one thing that came through um, is particularly of concern is, is that um, women uh, ultimately worried a lot more about the health of their uh, their families and, and also their financial health um, during the pandemic as, as well. So that was a key stat that we saw borne out. There's, of course, um, work that lots of organizations can do in the, the gender equality space. Just nodded too slightly towards there. But what's interesting for me is in the benefits world, there's only a few benefits which you have to legally offer. Um, you know, auto enrollment pension scheme is one of them. Time off through holiday is another. And then typically a health and safety benefit in the form of an eye test or, you know, hearing or protection, stuff like that. Um, and then on the other side, in the in the diversity spaces, to make sure you don't 
um, you know, discriminate anyone and to make sure that workplaces are accessible for potential, uh, you know, disabilities, visible or not. Things like lifts and, you know, disabled toilets. But apart from that, nothing is, is legislative, which I think definitely is something that potentially needs to change over time. Um, but we're already starting to report on the, this information, aren't we? Um, you know, as a country, as an industry, we're starting to, to tell the public this is our makeup of um, of gender splits. This is our makeup potentially of ethnic groups that are willing to, to divulge. And I think the start of, of making a change in this space has to be about data. Because, you know, if you don't understand the problems that you might have, you can never even start to change them, right? And Chris, some of that stats you just said there is incredible. You know, I mentioned before the stat around one in four people have a diagnosable mental health issue. That the information there, you know, I think you said 19% from the population, which is actually just just more than that. Um, you know, that's about one in five people. But 30 plus percent from from the the ethnic minority group, I think you said, which is almost one in three. So it's even, you know, the net is closing for me on that, and it shows you that individuals have issues that they want to talk about and they need support to talk about um and we can't you know segregating people to communicate to them i find isn't always the right way but finding out the support people need by finding out what group they might sit in is a different thing for me and that data you've you've spoken about definitely points towards that Yes, it's really interesting. So, so I, I wouldn't use a lack of data as, an, as a reason not to do something. And I think you're right. This isn't this isn't about pigeonholing people. This is about understanding that a, that a positive workplace culture, uh, you know, promoting inclusion, really really is positive for, for everyone. So, um, so, so there were three areas that that, um, that were called out from the survey where respondents uh, across the board um, said uh, they they highly valued. So, the first is meaningful flexibility. So. It's so essentially being flexible enough to, to do the things that are important to you personally and, and professionally. Um, supportive leadership that, um, that, that embraced um, uh, all parts of, uh, of society. And then thoughtful communication. So, so communication that was, um, that was empathetic, that was relatable, and, and actually that was, that was simple. So, so it's accessible as, as well. Um, so, so it's absolutely right. You, you don't need to have granular uh, data so to understand that, that your workforce will will, um, will reflect this, the communities and societies that we that we live in and, and therefore these um the, these actions are are applicable for for all thanks chris alison do you have anything to add to the to this area well, again i guess this is exactly going back to this point about there, this one size doesn't fit all and actually offering that flexibility you don't necessarily have to have the most expensive benefits but you, you know allowing people to have a bit of choice in, in what they select that's relevant to them is really what they're looking for. Um, so obviously, going back to the technology piece, actually use, the use of flexible benefits can, can take care of all of this through the communication and the, the options relevant to them. Yeah, I mean, you don't always need to have benefits specifically for different types of people, but there is a line I think you need to cross in off making sure you're offering something. And I've, I've used this example in you know in previous discussions i've held that if you don't have the data like you said chris it doesn't mean you can't do anything but sometimes you need to to start and you know figure it out afterwards and if if you knew that a, a percentage of your population were of a religion for instance that needed facilities to pray several times a day 
where do you draw the line at, at what type of facilities you provide? You know, if it's one person, would you build an airport style lounge for them? If it's 80% of your population, what do you do? I think that's what lots of, of companies are struggling with now, pandemic or not, with people returning to the workplace more often collecting that data and making meaningful decisions on the back of them is stopping people and it shouldn't because as you say chris like not having the data isn't an excuse not to start the journey at least in this space so i think there's there's one trend that um uh we, we are really keen to, to see and that's um we, we're going to call it flipping the pyramid so so this is where a lot of the the um the flexibility the level of support a lot of the benefits it uh, are actually aimed at groupings who need them the least. Um, so, that, so it's very easy to link this, um, link provision of, of all these things to, to, um, uh, to, to, to earnings and, and, and actually high earners um, receive more help than, um, than low earners, which um, really is, is kind of counterintuitive that you would look to help uh, you know, a high earner with, with vision care, for instance, but, but not a low earner who, um, who, who would value that, um, uh, that support more. Um, and so, so a, lot of the, um, a lot of the legacy issues that, that we see are based around uh, policies and, and benefit provision that's, that, that were really designed and implemented uh, a little while ago and probably need to refresh to, to, to not have that bias towards middle-aged white men uh, and to make sure they are truly representative of, uh, of the, the organization and, and the employees. Super, thank you. Um, so I knew, I knew we would have a, a case on our hands to try and talk about three big topics as part of a research paper in the time that we had. But just before we close up, is there anything either of you just wanted to add um, on the paper and the findings or any other standout stats before we close today's show? I guess what I would just say is um, the companies that are going to be successful, I guess, in the future are the ones that are actually tackling these these issues right now and actually taking taking stock and making changes, listening to their employees. It becomes much more of a, or much less of a, this, this is a benefit of working and this is what you get as standard. It's much more about employees actually wanting to work for a firm that looks after them in their whole space and not just the benefits that they get from working there. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. We've got so many more uh, organisations looking to identify their values and then see those values brought to life in, in their employee experience. So, so thinking more broadly about this and, and, and not worrying about necessarily getting it perfect, waiting for a, um, a seismic opportunity, but, but just start by tinkering and tailoring and changing now with stuff you can do rather than waiting for, for big bang change that uh, that might mean you have to wait three years five years and, and time the system changes you can do things immediately and would uh, would really um, love to have further conversations as, as to how we best do that super thank you so the last thing i just want to ask really is when's the report available and where's the best place to get it from we can include things like that in the in the comments and links in the description as well but but when's it available and how can people get it? So the research is is out. So, so uh, it's available now through through uh, any of the usual Mercer or Mercer March benefits contacts. Um, but we are um, digging further into the, the, the detail because it is just so rich. And we'll be coming out with some further releases uh, into the new year that sort of pull out some of these themes and give even more uh, information to, um, uh, to, to, to our clients. Brilliant. Thank you. I'm sure we'll do some some webinars or some some sessions on it as well, I'm sure. So, um, Alison and Chris, thank you both so much for all the contribution. Um, it felt like a very quick episode because of the topics that we covered, but it's really interesting. And thanks so much for condensing that down into a, to a short discussion. Thank you. Yeah.
listeners please subscribe thanks very much for diving into this episode if you've got any questions you can email us directly if you go to mercer.uk at mercer.com or you can also reach out for extra resources on our website at uk.mercer.com thanks very much 